Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. We're going to have a little news show for you. And we're just going to have a little bit of a pickup, a roundup of some of the things we missed in the Sochi Grand Prix. Oh, we're going to talk about some of the drivers we didn't get a chance to focus on. We are going to talk about some driver news as well, some future track news that's come through, the odd little news story that's come up. But also, uh, we are going to talk about Mercedes mishaps and miscues what we're going to do is we're going to do a league of justice for the number 44 car not for the driver not for the team but for the 44 car i'm not going to do it alone i'm also joined by matt two rumpets hello matthew hello spanners do you get matthewed a lot occasionally not that often really when you're in trouble yeah well it is new york so people come up with lots of other lively uh, nicknames for me do you get you go home and you get Matthewed because oh you didn't insult enough people today we're going to lose our our Brooklyn residency card? Yes, I was not ironic enough. Usually that's the problem. So if anyone's in any doubt, Matt is actually literally all the way over in Brooklyn, New York, which is I find it interesting because to me you sound like you're off of the TV. So I was whatever you say carries an extra authority, and that's that's why I that's why I have you on. I love that. And, it's, and and I love that so many people are delighted with my artisanal vocal stylings as well. Well, there was a tweet that you shared earlier. Was this a comment from YouTube, Matt? I, I think it might have been from one of our Apple reviews. I don't know. It came to me in an email and I was just amused enough by it that I thought I'd share it with my friends. So do you know who, who commented this? Was it just a random one? But the comment I, is, I remember. the comment is, the shows are good. Trumpet clearly spends time preparing good content, but he tends to speak at times with this odd over-enunciation. I adjust my speed to 1.5 to normalise his delivery. Someone needs to tell him. And then you've cut off the rest of it conveniently. But yeah, you always have a, a calm, rational cadence. I see that as a, a feature, not a bug. 
Yeah, well, I, I tend to think of it that of it that way too. But you know, you're never going to make everybody happy, and I'm just delighted he's figured or she or they. And there we go. That's the correct pronoun. They figured out a way to listen to me without losing their ever loving mind. Yeah, and I did notice that when we first started doing this podcast. But it's always thoughtful, and the fact is as well, there's like a delay between the two of us, so there's always a little bit of a gap. You single-handedly were the reason, though, why I went out and found automated systems to remove gaps. So because of you, we have that advance in our technology, but it's fine. Anything over 0.8 seconds just gets automatically cut down for the podcast version. Yes, and that's yet another reason why I just do not worry about it too much. (laughs) We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first... Welcome back to the shed, Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? Hey, Spanners. It's been so long. Yeah, I don't like your new career in PR where you have to work on race weekends. You need to prioritise the shed. You need to go back to whatever rubbish job that you hated before just so that I can have you on here more. Oh, yeah, just uh, pay me for it and then we'll uh, be good to go patreon.com forward slash missed apex if we get a billion patrons we will pay chris a small amount of money a retainer but i hope you're you're well and what i've always missed about you chris is your journalistic capabilities and since you've been in pr what we've missed from you is is that journalistic input Uh, but you you wrote a column for our site chris's column is that going to be a regular feature i hope so it kind of came to me just because i've got two weeks off work at the minute and so I'm trying to fill some time. Um, but yeah, hopefully, you know, it's something just a bit low profile or low pressure. Because uh, I, I miss, you know, writing about this sort of stuff. So go check it out. Yeah. All right. And we're also joined by uh, Jules Sagers, all the way from the Netherlands. Hello, Jules. Hi, Spenners. Good evening. You are also a journalisty man. Yeah, true. Correct. Yeah. Not currently sure. F1. We, can, we, can we not tempt you to come and blog and do the odd writing for us? Sure, definitely. I'm uh, I'm well up for it. Yeah. And what is your current what is your current field of journalism? Um, I'm lecturing at the journalism academy over here. So uh, breeding a new generation of Formula One uh, reporters. Ah, I see. So you're yeah. so when you're taking those lessons, is it all just like this is Max Verstappen? He is very good, and then pictures of all the other drivers. They are all bad. Yeah, they're all dressed up like Darth Vader. And, uh, <laughs> now, uh, of course, being a proper journalist and uh, trying to provide quality, I try to teach him to be balanced and see the story from different angles. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like the biased British F1 media. Am I right, guys? Am I right? Well, we hear so many comments like that, so many comments at the moment about the biased British media, and there may well be some bias. I just want to make you guys a promise, because I know a lot of you accuse me of having biases, and you're absolutely correct. And by the way, I never know whether you're meant to say biased, biases, or biased, so I'm going to get them all wrong. You are absolutely correct. I do have them. Everybody does. I try to be honest with you about them. But Alex Van Jean did a wonderful post uh, on, our, on his Twitter where at Alex Van Jean, where he highlighted some YouTube comments that we had. One said, I'm fed up with this podcast. You're always you're always putting down Lewis Hamilton. You I've never heard a winning driver be so slated. You're dismantling his achievements. And then another one saying, You guys, you're 
you're so awful. All you do is kiss Lewis Hamilton's ass." And you go, yeah, OK. So I just want you guys to be sure if you're accusing us of bias, are you sure that you're not just being triggered by the bad thing we say and not quite catching the, the good thing or the bad thing about the other driver? Um, but the second thing is, I promise you, it is not our intention to poke, to needle, to flame. I never go out of my way to either be overly balanced or to, to just like ring the bell for Lewis Hamilton fandom. If it seems like that, I do apologise, but I promise you the intent isn't there. Uh, let's uh, explore some news. Big Dirty News. Chris, let's start off with some driver news. There is, actually, there's a somewhat of a confirmation of what Joe was talking about, Joe Sayward on the show, when he said that uh, he thought Albon, Albon was going to get signed for 2021. But he felt like Latifi was only there perhaps because he was paying and that his contract would run till the end of 2022. And it was actually Piastri that he had earmarked thinking that will be your Williams 2023 driver. And uh, there's reports coming out that seem to confirm that. Well, yeah, I mean, in defense of Latifi, um, he has been a solid driver. Yes, he comes with a lot of financial backing, but Williams seem to like him a lot. Um, and, uh, of course, there is also the the added benefit that uh, Alex and Nicky were teammates together at Dams in Formula 2 in 2018, and that was a, a very good um, partnership and one of the reasons that Jos Capito cited as a reason for signing Alex um, for next season. Um, but to come to Oscar Piastri, and I would throw Teo Porcher into the mix as well, two astonishing rookie F2 drivers this season who have come in and just set the the scene ablaze. They are so incredibly talented, both coming in from F3 the previous season. Piastri won F3 in his rookie title um, and is doing an incredible, if I remember rightly, leading the F2 uh, standings as well in his rookie season uh Porcher is a is a little bit younger but still like right on the the heels of the very quick guys at a much younger age which is incredibly impressive the fact that they will not be on the f1 grid next season is incredibly upsetting to me um and it just uh, it makes me think of i wish we had back market teams like cater and mercia and hrt again just so that we could find these drivers a space on the F1 grid. Because you don't get drivers like Daniel Ricciardo anymore who come in in an HRT and then build their way up to the front of the grid. Oh, okay. Well, there's a few things there I want to unpick. Had totally forgotten that that is where Daniel Ricciardo yeah. started. He was in, in HRT. How did, he, how did he do? How was he, who was his teammate, do you remember? And how was he able oh. to shine at the back of the grid? Probably Narain Karthikayan. If I remember, oh, okay. uh, maybe I honestly, it would have been someone kind of not fantastic because HRT couldn't afford um, people. And, you know, he was placed there by Red Bull and he only did half a season as well. So, uh, you know, you can only beat the, the teams around you. So I guess coming like 18th would have been like a victory for them. Yeah. And I know that you're talking about wanting to have back marker teams, but it, it seems to be pretty clear that we're in an era where 10 teams is what we're going to have. And in, and we saw this actually earlier uh, in a similar fashion, Callum Eilat gallivanting off to do TDM and IndyCar testing and letting our friend uh, Robert Kubica, who 
miraculously is now ahead or at least was ahead of Mazapan in the driver's championship getting one or two last uh, thrill rides in an F1 car. Well, I, it all depends on on what Liberty want. And it seems like at the moment, Jules, that Liberty Media are kind of on this very American sports franchise path. So every race has to be a Super Bowl. Every race has to be this event. You can't have a a, a, a French 2019 Grand Prix because that's boring and you need every race to be a Super Bowl. But also it's the, very much this franchise football idea you know there's a there's a certain amount of places you're never going to be promoted you're never going to be relegated and this rule where people have to pay is something daft isn't it it's not 200 million is it to enter a new f1 team i think it's something there's an entry fee now to start a new team um yeah so what do you take what's your take jules i i gone from an era uh, i just saw it in the in the in the in the slack group uh, when you had teams like Forty or Andrea Moda and yes. uh, stuff like that, and um, when you had pre-qualifying on Friday morning at nine thirty, so I'm all for it. Uh, I know it's never going to happen. I know there are good reasons not to have those teams, but as Chris points out, uh, in as a way for more young drivers to make it to the grid to show what they can do, um, I think this season shows it. It. It, I won't say it's necessary, but it would be really good because it feels a bit clogged up right now. We had three Formula 2 drivers entering the scene this season, Sonoda, Mazepin, and, uh, or Majepin, as it's apparently pronounced oh. in Russian, um, and Schumacher. And, uh, well, we're not blown, blown away by any of them. And I think it, on one hand, scares off teams to, to, uh, to uh, pull those guys uh, who are now in F2, pull them in. And on the other hand, uh, there's not, not really space for them. And um, uh, I think maybe teams had been a bit trigger happy after a generation of Russell, uh, Norris, etc. And now maybe a bit more cautious to do that. Well, of course, just two years prior, we had Albon, Norris and Russell, the top three from the 2018 F2 title, um, all, all coming in in, uh, in in 2019 and kind of just set the world alight, really. Um, but I think the issue that... Um, Formula 2 in, in general has had this year has been the lack of races that it's been on the Grand Prix support bill. Um, we know F2 and F3 this season, they're not uh, racing you know, together. Um, it was part of a cost-saving measure to give them more races on one weekend. Uh, and so that the idea was they travel to less uh, races. It actually doesn't work out that way, which is why they're going back to the old format for next season. But the problem is you get teams like Sauber, who Paul Chair is a Sauber junior, uh, or they want to see how Guan Yu Zhou is, is doing, but he's right now the favorite among the F2 field to actually get promoted to, to F1. They can't see on a regular basis how he's performing. There's big two, they, we just had a two month gap before Monza, where we had then had Monza and Sochi back to back weekends. And now we have a 10 week gap until the next race in Jeddah. And the, the, it's just such a huge gap to see how they are performing. And for Joe as well, you know, he did not have a good Sochi. So now he's got to wait such a long time to give them another reason. No, 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 you should put me in your car for next season. Yeah, if only the teams had resources and ways to evaluate drivers in between races, if that's what they really wanted to do. Just right. a, it's, a, it's all yeah. well and good putting them in the simulator, but you need to see how they do in racing scenarios there's no better test really uh jules uh, so how how like matt matt 
I think Matt tries to say, how serious are those F1 teams with their uh, their academies or their willingness to 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 have a really good look at these drivers? And I often feel like um, uh, the Formula One teams' academies are almost there uh, to prevent talents from going to other F1 teams than really trying to to breed them, let them grow, and actually offer them a seat in their team. And of course, Matt, sometimes you know people can pay to be for that title, pay to be a Ferrari Academy driver. You've had some driver names that pop up there and you go, yeah, that wasn't Ferrari scouts picking you up. That was that was a bit of cash. Yeah, well, it reminds me of record producers. When Whenever a single artist has a hit, they will go find anyone that sounds vaguely like that and sign them just so that there's no competition. Or if uh, you happen to be the son of a very famous racing driver who raced for a very famous team, you might suddenly end up with their badge um, on your car. No no one in particular springs to mind um, with, with that one. Nobody who went off and did Super Formula uh, this season. Um, allegedly. Sorry, just instinct. Is that, yeah, yeah, I allegedly. Think, I think that covers off. Summers is in our uh, patron live chat room, and he's just correcting you that Ricardo replaced yeah. Noreen Carthake and he partnered Antonio Liuzzi. Vitan, yeah, so Vit Antonio Liuzzi, which is actually a, a decent benchmark. He was pretty seasoned at that point, done what, four or five seasons was, you know, a good benchmark to put a rookie um, against. Um, I just, I like the idea of, you know, having those those back markers. No, I do. It's also something additional to look at. I, I, I miss them. I miss them, Matt, as well. And um, yeah, I don't know, our back of the grid battles, they're just, they, they are less interesting. I followed those battles. If they thought they weren't interesting to people, well, they had one person looking out and, and wishing them well and hoping they can go for that, you know, that glorious dream point or, or see which drivers really should be there, e- even if it's a bit pro-am, you know, even if it's a little bit like Aston Martin now, you know, you've got, you've, you've got a, a, a funding driver and, the, and then the pro. That's, kind of, that's got its place as well, Chris, hasn't it? That's got its place too. Isn't this, that is how you run a, a race team. Maybe not in, in Formula One, but in junior categories in gts a lot yeah. of le mans teams you have a, an am in the car to pay for the pro basically uh, matt yeah well this brings up sort of an interesting thing because we had a former formula euro type guy alex palau just win the indycar championship and he he was well on that ladder he had some success. He finished third, in fact, in, in Super Formula before he signed uh, for IndyCar. And so you got to ask yourself, you know, the question, why are these drivers going to want to stick around Formula One when they can go and be competitive and win championships and have a much better chance at it if they bail for other series? Yeah, I've just had a little look at the championship table of F2, Chris. No, you get in first and then I'll... I'll... Well, so we've been here with Alex Albon haven't we um if you remember i wrote uh, quite a divisive uh feature about alex albon arguing why he should stick to formula e rather than risk the formula one seat with um toro rosso yeah i yelled now, at you yeah but i felt i felt like i made a you know decent argument for yeah. it um and of course you know ultimately he was right to take the risk it could have backfired massively but it's paid off he's had a hiatus, but coming back, and I think his career is better off for it. So 
I can't now sit here and say Piastri should go and do IndyCar or something yeah. rather than maybe wait a season, do an Ocon and, and come back with an F1 team. Yeah, and what you're referencing is the hoist on their own petard. If you win that F2 championship, you may not participate next season. So if there are no seats, you have to go do another thing. But fortunately, I think for our friend Oscar, it looks like uh, Liberty have taken this under advisement because what they're talking about now is opening up a number of Friday sessions and requiring young drivers to be running them uh, by all the teams. And as an added bonus for you, Spanners, mm -hmm. that means there's no way there's a sprint race that weekend. <laughs> oh, no, you can't possibly have an entertaining weekend without a sprint race. So, um, I, Matt, would that, in your opinion, really open up doors for talented young drivers? Or is this opening up doors for drivers who have rich daddies and buy their sons a free practice? Um, as they like to say at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy, a bit of both. Yes, you will absolutely have teams that need money selling those spots, but those spots will still be sold to people like Stroll and Latifi who have the backers but are already in the series. They're not going to sell them off to people like me and Spanners much as we'd like. Oh, man. It might be a little bit too late for me and a little bit out of my price range as well. Or Mahavir Raghunathan. Remember, oh, okay. he just not a genuine few weeks ago. not going to happen. Oh, okay. hey, look, um, look, I, I want to move on a tiny little bit. Jose in, um, in, our, in the chat says, Alonso had to wait one season between driving for Minardi and getting his seat at Renault. So the, the urge for for patience it could come off then but wasn't there more teams on the grid then wasn't that slightly bigger grid slightly it was before the three at the back wasn't it but it was still a sl slightly bigger grid I yeah thought. i think there were 22 cars on the grid if i remember rightly but crucially alonso had the you know the test and development role at renault mm. this season he wasn't racing but normally we'd be looking at this f2 driver lineup and we'd be going right Okay, let's look at the future stars, but we're we're going to have to wait. We've heard these names before, but if you look at the the top five, the two that we've been getting excited about here, Piastri and Pochet, or is it Chris? Uh, first and fifth, neither of them, as fancied as they are, look to stand a chance. Tictum looks to have completely uh, have. Well, he said he said I've messed up my chances of being in F one. I think even before he said that, he was done. Oh, okay, fair enough. And um, there may or may not have been. A, a traffic occurrence. Look at Chris keeping a straight face. <laughs> uh, and then, okay, and then again, you've got Zoo and Schwartzman there, and it does look like, Matt, none of those guys are going to be appearing in F1, which I think that, that is a significant issue. If we had infinite money, you could go, okay, well, instead of your dumb sprint race on the Saturday, on the Friday, instead of your incorrect sprint race, whenever it is, have those same sports cars out or, my idea was, well, have the F1 cars, but with your junior drivers. But then, isn't that what F2 is meant to be? But it's not, because we're only racing them every other race now. And, and just, I, I can't find anyone who is excited about the junior series this season in particular. It seems like it's had a little kind of tap on the head and it's out cold. Yeah, well, I think uh, part of that, as Chris notes, is that just the wonky schedule makes it almost impossible to maintain and establish a narrative. We saw this with W Series. We saw it even with Formula E in the early days where they'd have a race and then three months later they'd have another race and everyone would be like, oh, wait, yeah, something happened in the first race. What was it again? And, and you'd have to go back and read the articles to know what was going on. 
I, I think it's it's not just what I said earlier about um like actually being you know racing in front of the the, the people you're trying to impress. It's actually being in the paddock with them. It's going off and having conversations about next season. You know, when uh, a few years ago, most of the F1, F2 drivers who were being promoted to F1 had those deals signed by the summer. So we're now in September, nearly October, and there's still no confirmation about who's being promoted. If Joe is getting into F1 next season, it's not confirmed. Where would he go? Where would he be going? Uh, 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 Alpha. Alpha. Sorry, Alpha. Or Salva. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so to partner Bottas. Okay. Okay. Maybe. All right, look, let's move away from the, the junior series and um, and tackle some F1. Big dirty news. Big dirty news. A quick reminder of our rumor policy here at Mist Apex Podcast. I ain't no one. I ain't nobody. I don't really know no one. I haven't got any links to any teams. I'm not a journalist. But we do have, you know, we do have some some links to people who do know stuff. So any, anything you hear from me is always going to be at least secondhand. At best, seventh hand. But I tend not to tell you when my cat's neighbour cat friend's daughter's sister-in-law's brother's uncle, I, I tend not to do that kind of connection. But every now and then when I hear something, you go, oh, okay, that sounds, that sounds plausible. You get to know the source. Sometimes it's closer than others. And... and I tend to be pretty honest with you guys. So we used to do the Mr. Apex understand stuff. Don't worry, there's not going to be one of those right now. Uh, but I, that became too stressful. I don't, I don't want scoops. I don't want scoops, honestly. I don't want to like be the breaking news thing and have a... Because all that happens is everybody tells you you're a lying git and that you're, 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 you're making stuff up. And then when it gets revealed, people don't come back and go, oh, you were so right about that thing. Well done. Like two people do that. So we tend not to do that. Like, so... We got quite a lot of information about uh, Aston Martin. And then we were talking about it internally amongst ourselves. And when it comes then from an independent source, from somebody else saying, oh, I've heard that thing too, that makes you go, oh, okay. Well, maybe we can talk about it. So I started talking about the stuff going on at Aston Martin. I think I said in the last race review, I can't remember how deep we got, Matt, but I think I mentioned that Otmar Schaffnauer, Yes, that's within the realm of possibilities. Nice, close. Um, basically, that his his job was really on the hook, and his weird praise of of uh, his weird praise Stroll. of Stroll was like a last ditch attempt to keep his job. And then I mentioned that the, the thing about his race engineer Brad being having been moved on, and I was painting this picture of you know, oh, he he dared to cross Lance Stroll, and then he got moved along, Chris, and. I don't know. They, there's definitely been... I can't have been the only person saying that because there's definitely been a kind of denial of that. I mean, do we really think it's a coincidence that Martin Whitmarsh has just been brought on board to the team with whatever role name that they gave him? I can't... It's Aston Martin Technology yeah, no. CEO, something like that. Um, I don't think that's a, a coincidence. Uh, I think he's been brought there for a very specific yeah. purpose. And I, I, I heard that specifically and then when i spoke to you guys a lot of other guys had heard that from independent sources as well so that feels like it's kind of an open secret but i think something we didn't talk about matt was why why is otmar schaffnauer in trouble why is he on the brink of losing his job and uh the, so 
all I've all I've heard is that he is locking heads with Lawrence Stroll, with Papa Stroll, and that there are times when he would like to say Lance is the problem in that car, or Lance has caused this issue, and that Lawrence Stroll won't have it and won't have any of it. So the picture that's being painted, not by me, is that they are losing people that dare question the establishment. Yeah, and again, I'm going to use that word understanding because this is thinking back to a conversation had massive speculation, of course, yeah, a while ago. Yeah. But if I've if I've remembered it correctly, how about I go there? Uh, not the only one should Otmar choose to leave. Be forced to choose to leave. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Forced to choose to leave. <laughs> Invited to leave. Out the door. He he would be one of many several that might be departing for right. uh, fresher, fresher environments, newer challenges. Let's just put it that way. But I do need to correct the record that his race engineer was actually kicked upwards um, to be a senior uh, uh, head of trackside engineering, and he's got. Does Lance, a new race engineer, uh, Ben Mitchell. Now, that might mean that he's done a very good job and they trust him, or that might also mean that the person person formerly doing that job, again, might be headed elsewhere. Okay, so, uh, ah, yeah, I, I was thinking of the island, where they're like, no, you know, you and McGregor, was it you and McGregor and Scarlett Johansson? Where they said, oh, no, he's won a lottery. He's going to go and live the rest of his life on an island. That's what Brad's doing. Don't worry about Brad. He's going to be fine. Or am I being too yeah. cynical? No, I, I remember. I, now I remember the movie you're talking about. And that's that's like, yes, he's won the lottery. <laughs> okay. Ooh. It's just, um, it's it's not. I'm, I mean, I'm reporting what a lot of people are hearing and what a lot of people are saying, which is that atmosphere, to me, Chris, convinces me more than ever that that team's mission is absolutely 100% Lance Stroll world champion. I don't think that was in doubt. And I don't actually think it's implausible because he is competent. He is improving. He is, co he is competent. You're giving me a face. He is competent. Yeah. He's not He's not going and plowing into the back of people, is he? He's lapping, yeah. apart from his teammate, but that's tough. <laughs> I, I'm not disagreeing with that because um, there actually was a moment in the, the Russian Grand Prix where I went, do you know what? Fair play, Lance. That was actually pretty impressive. It was when he sort of dived in the middle at turn two at the start. At the start yeah, it was a great start. That was yeah. really, yeah, really impressive. Kind of ruined it by bumping into his teammate later. But and the, point, it, the point I was going to make was that I don't think that kind of attitude is going to win you world championships. I, don't, I think it's barely going to win you races. And also, you're going to... Okay, see, see if this is controversial, Chris. Okay. He isn't a top talent. Whatever Otmar says, he's not as fast as Hamilton or Verstappen. So no. if they really want to have that ambition to, to make him a world champion, that car has got to be like a Mercedes 2014 dominant to get him there. And, and you, can, you can understand from a management point of view, you want to get rid of the people who are dissenting to some extent, because that's the only way that is going to work is if everybody is 100% on board with this message that, uh, that Lance Stroll and his teammate, Oh, who are they going to bring in? And Nigel Mansell, they're going to bring it. Ha, ha, they're going to bring in Hacken and out of retirement. That Lance Stroll is beating his teammate because he's brilliant and he's won the championship despite struggling with the car. That message has to be unified. Yeah, exactly. But Mercedes and Red Bull didn't get to where they are because they put their mate in the car. You know. Oh my. I mean, I, yeah. I know. I know. Christian used to run 
NF3000 team and he would bring up his junior drivers, you know, with that way, for example. But there's hardly the same kind of deal. Oh my God, Matt, uh, Rob Asher in our live chat has just said words to the effect of if they report that Otmar's gone to live on a farm, we need to all be very, very concerned. Yes, that, that, that is absolutely positively true. And let's face it, Whitmarsh has had years of practice saying to the world exactly what Ron Dennis wanted while he pretended to be entirely independent. That's a, that's a reasonable point. I'm not overly knocking it, Jules, because if I was a billionaire, I'm not, I mean, you can pretty much guarantee that I would buy a F1 team and put my son in the driver's seat. So I really am not knocking it. No, but I think it... I think. Uh, Aston Martin would lose uh, a really motorsport guy if if they ditch Safnauer. He's got he's got pretty pretty big pedigree in Formula One. He worked for BAR, worked for Jaguar, um, if I'm correct. And I don't know. It's always hard to to judge if you can leave drive to survive. But I think it showed already that he and Stroll don't really gel. Really, and I, I, I have to admit. Jules, You'd I stopped, have to I stopped a, watching after like episode two because I was like, oh, yeah, I get the idea. I get the idea. Understandable. But if you took a really close look, you could see it, it wasn't all just uh, just uh, good between them. But to be fair, it, it would be a shame if, they, if, they, if they'd lost a guy like that. Uh, he's uh, played a major role in, in developing Force India. And like Matt said, says, uh, Whitmarsh, he knows how to, uh, to stay in line. Company and man. I guess, yeah, I guess Stroll uh, likes that. You made me think of something really quite important, which is, you know, saying Otmar is a is a motorsport person. And I think what manufacturers who enter Formula One underestimate is you can't win it with a corporate mentality. It's so unbelievably different. And it is why Toyota became the most expensive failure Formula One has ever seen, because they came at it with their corporate attitude, trying to do things a corporate way and not a motorsport way you know when you have the ceo of toyota standing out on the track and saying well the drivers aren't braking late enough that's their that's their fault (laughs) well no i don't i don't quite think that's it yeah i think a lot of these guys i i i get the feeling a lot of these guys uh mirror themselves to flavio briatore and he came in as a benetton salesman right and and obviously had great success, but what he always did was was making sure that he was surrounded for the technical stuff uh, with real motorsport people, and and he was just like the face of the team, you know. And and I think it, it again it will be a real loss. I agree with Chris. Uh, uh, don't underestimate it, Chris. That's what I do on Miss Apex podcast. I don't do anything. <laughs> I just surround myself with people who know stuff. Yeah, and then take the credit for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, um, it, it's it's funny seeing Whitmarsh um, back in, in, in Formula 1 because I'm suddenly reminded that under his watch, um, and Ron Dennis is as well, I'm not going to totally lay this on Whitmarsh, um, but under their guise, um, McLaren lost their works deal entry uh, uh, engine with uh, Mercedes, they lost Vodafone and they lost Lewis Hamilton and basically brought about the Mercedes dominance that we see today. So interesting future that lays ahead, maybe. Last point from you, Jules. Yeah. And don't, don't forget um, Whitmarsh's era at McLaren. It wasn't all that great. 
and he 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 was um um how do you say this the curator um, of doom <laughs> <laughs> wasn't the exact word i was looking for but um he was being discussed, you know, and, yeah. and, and he, he, he wasn't Ron Dennis at all. He was uh, under pressure. Like he was under pressure. Yeah. And yeah. then like particularly like Lewis Hamilton left. And then suddenly you were looking at the results and you go, oh, you're, you're struggling a bit to, to stay in the top 10. Like, oh, you're outside the top 10. That's obviously you'll sort that out. And then it just dropped like a lead balloon for several years after. Well, I, I think where Ron Dennis needs to you know, kind of hold his hands up as well, was the um, the feud he used to have with um, with the president of the FIA um, at the time uh, and is also the reason why Braun ended up getting Mercedes engines and then we ended up with a Mercedes Grand Prix team. Oh, my God. And who, that just unraveled from there. Who made the decision that you couldn't, you weren't going to get anywhere by having Mercedes engines with Mercedes in there and then took the Honda engines? That was a Whitmarsh era that was decision. Dennis. Well, so that was one Dennis, was it? Yeah, basically. Yeah. So uh, Braun needed an engine. McLaren had the right to veto Mercedes giving them an engine, but Ron Dennis wanted an extra team on the grid, um, so that it was an extra team in the Formula One Teams Association to f- argue with the FIA, um, basically, because he was Oof. butting heads with them all the time. So having an extra team on the grid was good for him. He let them have a Mercedes engine mercedes were already not very happy with mclaren because of the whole spy scandal the lie gate the not very good 2009 season they ended up having which is why they ended up you know purchasing mercedes uh the, the braun team in the first place okay that was that's a lovely little tangent i didn't expect us to go yeah. down that route at all obviously that segment there might come across as a bit of a hit job on aston martin and their curation underneath uh, stroll inc and uh, it feels like that to me. And as we're talking, I'm like, ooh, have we been a bit harsh? Have we been a bit harsh? Am I in danger? I don't think I'm going to get a job at Aston Martin anytime soon. But if well, you disagree, feedback at mistapex.net. Tell, tell me why I'm being harsh. Tell me what you think might be hyperbole and what might be an exaggeration. I, I am interested to hear from you. Or you can do spanners at mistapex.net as well. Put it this way. We all want to see Aston Martin at the front of the grid well i want to see more teams at the front and have a specific allegiance to aston martin but i think we all like the fact that aston martin's in formula one right it's cool right but it's not just the 007 thing aston martin is cool and you know it and having them fighting at the front for grand prix victories would be amazing regardless of whether it's with stroll or vettel or you know somebody else they bring up in in the future I don't know. What, because they're in James Bond, Chris? That's why you're just no, falling for that. I had posters of Aston Martins on my wall. It had nothing to do with James Bond. All right. Okay, good. All right, I'll wait that feedback. Oh, by the way, you can bug Matt as well. Matt at MissedApex.net as well. You can follow everyone. Let's let's do that. At MattPT55. Look at him. Look at his, look at his American face there. Oh, what's your origins, Matt? What are you? You've got some, some Dutch heritage as well, haven't you? That's why you're long... With the jaw and the face. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm a mutt. What can I say? A mongrel. Much like myself. Uh, at MattPT55. You can also follow Chris at Chris on Racing. It's always worth noting that I I made you change your to that. You had the worst Twitter handle in the world before that because it had an underscore in it. Have you noticed that no one has an underscore in their Twitter handles anymore? I was on the right side of history. You were wrong. It was 2011. What was I going to put in there? 
don't know, not an underscore. It's basically evil. At Chris on Racing. And Jules is on the Twitter as well. At Jules Sagers, double E. Double correct. E? Yeah. Correct. Oh, yeah. Do you have F1 at the end? At Jules Sagers F1. No, 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 no. Oh, no, no F1 on the end. But... All the links to everybody's social media is always included in the show notes. Show notes now, whether you're on the ad-free Patreon RSS feed, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex, whether you're watching it on YouTube or whether you've got the, the regular feed from our Acast feed. So please do go and follow all the crew. What I'd like to do now, Matt, is move closer to our... our our, our league of justice but for the cars because we did this for the ferrari a couple of years ago i want to do this for the mercedes car it's, i don't want anyone to be confused the league of justice is not for lewis hamilton it's not for max verstappen it's not for the team it's for the physical mechanical car that's whose side we're taking but i think to get there we've got to do a little bit of a, a pickup and the things we missed I think, from the Sochi Grand Prix. I know there's a tiny bit of Lando Norris news in there, but I really don't want to kind of drill deep into that anguish anymore, uh, you know, again. And fair enough. We did an excellent job, if I do say so myself, of, of getting that from all three or four dimensions, depending upon whose physics you like best. Uh, but one thing that we did not settle, and we in fact had a big argument about, was whether or not the power unit penalty taken by Mercedes was solely to mess with Red Bull, mm -hmm. or whether it might actually offer a vital clue to very real reliability problems Mercedes is concerned about. And the fact of the matter is, we've seen an article, and indeed, there are some reliability concerns. Um, uh, the engine he ran in Monza had some problems. They don't know if they can use it again. And since they already messed up the qualifying anyway. They said, let's just put some more bits into the pool so we can use them if we need them. So I am now following Valtteri Bottas on Instagram. I wish he had more of a sense of humor out loud. I don't know who runs his account, but he posted, you know, the meme of him looking at the Verstappen-Hamilton crash and kind of going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He posted that, but with the background was a massive pile of engines and it was like, just Valtteri and all his engines, which is hilarious, to be fair. But Chris, I still, I hear this explanation. I still sort of don't believe it. I, if it still feels like spin to me. I would believe it because why would Mercedes want to damage their image by saying, oh yeah, our reliability is so bad, our engine did one race. No, 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 this is just a sporting thing. This is a sporting thing. They can do that when they're leading by a billion points, but, but now they're, they're in a they're real not. scrap. They're not. This is a terrible thing for people to think about Mercedes. And and if they don't win the world championship, that's what they'll point to. Because Lewis will have to take an engine penalty at some point. And if Max wins and Lewis doesn't come second in that race, that is a net points loss. Hang on a minute. If Lewis Hamilton complains about his engine at any point, you know it's fine. It's exactly like tyres. Wow. That's what they're doing. They're like, oh, these power units, they're not going to last, you know. And then it will do all of the 2022 season as well. Bono, my engine's gone. You know, he's sorted. That depends. How was he? If he sounded like he did in, I don't know, Sepang 2016, then maybe the, the, uh, every Lewis Hamilton fan just oh, winced. Too soon. That was pure <laughs> anguish. And we have seen a few Mercedes power units having some issues over the season, more so than usual. And I do wonder, because Bottas did have the new power unit at Monza, 
And boy, he did so, so very, very well there, much better than Hamilton could do against the McLarens. And then he comes here and they have, quote unquote, reliability concerns. They give him new bits. And suddenly he's just like to the Botas we remember from seasons past. There goes Max. I can't really pass anyone in traffic. Oh, let's put on some enters and finish fifth. It, it, it just, I mean, I know they said he was struggling with understeer, but I really do wonder if they had turned that engine up some in Monza and they've discovered a problem now. And so everybody's maybe running with a little bit less power. I mean, this might explain why Hamilton, for example, couldn't get around Ricardo. Okay, so a couple of things there. You uh, you can take a risk with Bottas. Uh, remember the rumors that allegedly Mercedes turned up or cranked up the power for George Russell's engine to see how the engine would behave and, and basically see what future upgrades they should introduce for power unit unit changes. Secondly, Bottas doesn't matter in this title fight necessarily, so you can take a risk with him. So if, if you want to say, right, this weekend, crank it up, and if it blows up, it blows up, then so be it. So I, I will start to come around to your point of view. I've been a little bit convinced by Lucas in our chat room. Lucas, one of our finest, actually, uh, iRacing participants. Listen out for round one of season five. Coming up soon with Chris and Catman on commentary, broadcast by Uncle Steve as well. That's going to be great fun. Um, Lucas says, Mercedes strategists are smart enough to know that Bottas isn't good enough to defend against Max. So all this talk pre-race of like, oh, yeah, this is to mess up his race. Perhaps, Jules, Lucas is right there. Perhaps the Mercedes analysts wouldn't do that because they probably figured out that that wouldn't work. Now I I don't buy it for one minute. It's a very popular uh, um, uh, reading of what happened here in Holland, of course. The yes, Mercedes, of course. <laughs> uh, puts Bottas in, on the back of the grid just to disturb Max Verstappen, but uh, it just doesn't work that way. That you can you know just throw out uh, some po- power unit uh, elements and, and put some new ones in. You have to really. Um, uh, argue that you need to replace these. Um, and it's less interesting, Jules. It's a less interesting narrative. Come on, man. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, um, uh, but you know, <laughs> if they if they really want to do that, if they really want to uh, get in Max Verstappen's way, they should have just uh, left him where Bottas started because, yeah, okay. in that position, he he could have done a lot more to disturb him. Oh, I hated me. I hate being wrong about stuff but i think yeah matt your read on that pre-race i can't remember whether you said it on the podcast or not but your read on that was correct probably starting from seventh would have been overall more useful than putting him at the back of the pack chris so i i'm maybe it's different for engines but you know i remember ferrari um very happily opening up felipe Massa's gearbox back in 2012 in austin to put fernando alonso on the correct side of the the grid you know these are not it's not unheard of no yeah it's not an unusual uh tactic i I, Um, I don't think i got this point across well enough on the on the podcast which is that that was to move him out of alonso's way that's one thing to actively put a driver back as the number two to mess with the contender of the number one that's a different league if they had done that if that it was the motivation that is a that would be much worse than that interlagos one would Mercedes be so willing to just sacrifice Bottas if, say, Sergio Perez hadn't scored the same number of points as George Russell in the last five Grand Prix? 
well, that hurts. <laughs> I mean, it's true, but uh, but it, it is hurts. true. It but Mercedes have only led eighteen laps in the last eight Grand Prix. That's appalling. Max has led over two hundred in that time. That's a good stat. Let's just explore that for a second because that's such a good stat. I just want to explore that. Someone tweeted it. I, I'm sorry, I can't credit. It went viral. But basically, the stat, Matt, is that Verstappen or Red Bull have led 280 laps. Mercedes have led like exactly the amount of laps they've won. The, the, the picture it's painting is that uh, Mercedes have basically won every race on the last lap. Well, this is interesting. And happily enough, I did go look it up for you with oh, Philip Burton. On Twitter, and it's 208 laps, uh, 65 for Ocon, 56 for Ricardo, Leclerc 50, Norris 31, Sainz 12, Hamilton 11, Botas. Wait, whoa, 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 that bears repeating. Hamilton's led how many laps? Um, 11. That, this is only for the last eight Grand Prix. Eight oh, right, okay, I was gonna say so that. In, in that time, yeah, they've only won uh, two Grand Prix, two Grand Prix now, yeah, yeah. And so naturally this made me interested and said, well, I wonder what the whole season looks like then. So you'll be happy to know that over the whole season, Max Verstappen has led 469 laps versus Lewis Hamilton's 133. Ooh, wow. That's that's quite remarkable. And if we look at the constructors, Red Bull as a team has led 503 laps to Mercedes 160. So you have to unpack that and go, what the hell is going on there? Well, there is a consequence of races like Bahrain, like Barcelona, for example, where Max led the majority of the race. Silverstone, Leclerc led the majority of that, but Lewis ultimately ended up winning very late in the day. And that's really all that matters, the points that come at the end. But it does speak of an indicative lack of performance relative to what we are used to seeing with Mercedes, especially in the last few Grand Prix because of races like Hungary, where uh, they were out of the running because of the rain. Spa didn't happen. Wait. Monza. We've got a full list of this. You've led us really nicely into what I wanted to end the show on, which is our League of Justice for the Mercedes car. And you're absolutely right. We're not used to seeing this kind of struggle from Mercedes, and there's a general creeping feeling that Mercedes are dropping the ball. That sounds harsh, but no? No, I wouldn't call it dropping the ball. Okay. I would call it a regulation change that massively interfered with their car more than any others, combined with a team that is so desperate to win this year's world title, they are sacrificing everything out. If you think Red Bull is going to be at the front of the grid next season... Like, I mean, good luck putting money on that because I don't think anyone thinks they're going to be at the front with the amount of resource they're putting into this world championship. And and because it suits my narrative, I can also say that they are heavily throwing everything at one driver. Poor Perez. He would definitely (laughs) have won loads of races without that. Um, But but I think that is true to an extent. They are definitely... uh, Anything that comes out will go on Verstappen's car first. So you're right. they, They are facing that. However... Mercedes do have the raw pace. They do have the raw equipment. They have the one of the best drivers in, in F1 history. So why aren't they winning by lots more? And, and Matt, I know you and I will argue about this, but I am, just, I am convinced Mercedes have had the best car for about six or seven races. Yeah, I, and I understand that. And before we get 
into the nitty gritty, is it where I just wish to take issue? Because to my knowledge, the teams get the exact same rules at the exact same time to design for the next year. Mm. And I honestly think that if you want to talk about dropping the ball, that's where it starts. I think Mercedes did not predict the issues they'd have with their design. But I don't think you can lay it all on Mercedes. I also think no one predicted Honda would show up with the power unit they put together between November and the uh, start of testing. Because, oh my, that was a huge and I think very unexpected step forward. That, that was a whole year early. I would also argue that Mercedes has, and uh, to use Spanish phrase, dropped the ball in particular. I think they have been too conservative, especially in races. Now, you can argue there were races like Barcelona where there was that really bold strategy, but I think Sochi was a pure example of them playing it too cautiously in qualifying, for example. They've always done it, Chris. They've always done it. Since, since the hybrid era, they've, they've had such an advantage that they have had a wait-and-see method and they've been able to respond and had the capacity to do things. But a team like Red Bull can roll the dice. And when you've got McLaren behind you as well that can afford to take alternate strategies and get in front and and ruin your race the do nothing and i don't mean that as a lazy or anything but the wait and see approach isn't working this season so you're right i don't think they are being proactive but they've never been they haven't been since they came back i'm going to disagree with that ever so slightly because i seem to recall mercedes basically inventing strategies like, uh, let's take Hungary 2019 as an example, where they box Lewis when he arrives at the back of Max Verstappen. He has to make up that entire gap mm. and pass him before the end of the race. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying they I mean, never do anything proactive, but, but in general, would, they've, been, they've been reactive is all I'm saying. But I, I, can, I think there are other ones as well where they have been like really uh, inventive with the, with the strategy. And this year, they're... It's just it's not, it's not arriving for some reason. I, I feel like I need to clarify that when I say do nothing or reactive, that doesn't mean not good. That means that their general approach is to be reactive. Of course, they have done inventive strategic things. They are filled with very intelligent, race-savvy people. All I'm saying is that they have deliberately let themselves be on the back foot on occasion. But here, they, they, that tactic might not work when it's a little bit closer. Well, they can't make up the ground as easily. Sure. For for example, it's all well and good. They have a a strategy that puts them back into third place. It's a lot harder for them to get back to the front now. So I want to hand over to Jules here because you have done quite a lot of groundwork here. What I want to do, and I'm going to reiterate this, this is not a how could Lewis Hamilton be beating uh, Verstappen? Poor Lewis Hamilton. Everything's gone against him. This is not that. The actual car, the car itself could have had more points and we're talking about human error so driver or team jewels you've done quite a bit of work here just compiling a list of the season and it's longer than you'd think yeah um well if if you look at human errors uh let for instance with hamilton um i think everybody feels like well, he, he seems a bit more error prone than he than he has been in recent I, years i agree and then you try to summon up some uh some of his mistakes up and you it's hard to to think of that many so i took a dig in in this year's races and um for instance uh in in, in imola he uh, he loses his uh, his uh, p1 from pole for step and takes over uh, he goes off uh, later in a rush to overtake russell i think 
damages front wings, spends uh, a minute in the gravel. Um, and Monaco was a very, very uh, expensive race for uh, for uh, Mercedes. Uh, they didn't get the tires working. Uh, Hamilton qualified seventh, finished seventh course, over yes. a minute. Yeah, and and he finished over a minute behind for Stepan. And um, I think that the two most costly races for uh, for uh, Mercedes have been uh, Baku when um yeah, uh, they, can, had a, yeah. they had magic. a slow stop um, yeah mercedes uh, uh, revels in slow stops for some reason uh, then uh, they, they called him in uh, had to wait to let him go because gasly was passing him um that that meant verstappen uh, took p1 uh, and then after the 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 the, the puncture verstappen had uh, obviously, Lewis had that brake mode on, which he shouldn't have had, and yeah. a, a P1 or P2 was was lost. And uh, I think the worst worst um, uh, example was uh, in Monza, when he not only had a bad start in the sprint race, messing up his starting position for the for the Grand Prix, but um, they had a slow stop again. And if they wouldn't have have had that, he would have come uh, back on track uh, more in front of Stappen. The crash would not have happened. Uh, but they they um, compromised their own race. They had a slow stop. Uh, everybody knows what happened. And instead of uh, maximizing there, uh, they had a they had a no score and a car and, on his head. Yeah, and he had then, a car on his yeah. head. And, and then, of course, and, yeah. The, recently with Russia, they end up yeah. Matt, with you know with a, a very very messy qualifying. And you have to say that's probably you know a strategic call before it makes it sound like we're just pointing out all of Lewis Hamilton's errors. The list for the team errors is probably arguably longer. It it it's it is even longer. And as 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 Matt just pointed out, it seems like uh, Mercedes underestimated how much effort uh, Red Bull, but especially Honda, would put in their in their uh, uh, final year. And um, uh, do you mind if I bother you to just say, can we quickly rattle off your list of the times that we think that? Mercedes dropped the ball on strategy. Definitely, definitely. Um, I think France was a was a very costly race for Mercedes um, uh, because uh, they let Verstappen undercut Hamilton, and it allowed Verstappen to actually do a two stop and pass Bottas and Hamilton. Um, and I think the the most painful example was uh, in Hungary. When obviously oh, everybody after yes. the the the, the conf- uh, after the the formation lap went in for slicks and Hamilton was the only one out there, and instead of you know Verstappen was was out of the race due to Bottas. Um, Let's let Chris just of- come in there quickly. Well, can, can I just? I know it sounds like we're you know really bashing on Mercedes, but and this is for people who I know are already typing the in the <laughs> comments. Welcome. I reckon the, the the Red Bull list for this as well, and for Verstappen, would be equally Do as long. Think? And I would like to hear. I would like to hear a list from Jules on the same topic. Okay. Well, well look, uh, look. We've got to Hungary. I know there's 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 three more. Let's go through those, and then and then we'll, we'll get your opinion. I know we haven't co- uh, compiled it, but I I don't agree with Chris. I I don't think it's been as much from Red Bull, but we've got as far as Hungary. So, for instance, Belgium, uh, wet qualifying, they, they didn't get the timing right. Maybe like Russia uh, last weekend, mm. uh, which led to him being P3. Race doesn't happen. He's P3. Well, everybody knows Lewis Hamilton at Spa in a Mercedes. 
you know, he'd, he'd been quickest over free practice, I believe, uh, or at least during that quality. So he should have gotten pole. Um, Dutch Grand Prix couldn't handle a Red Bull speed. Uh, they messed up the undercut uh, by uh, by sending him out on, on the tires that Hamilton didn't want. Oh, he, he and, wasn't happy. And then not only that, but they send him straight back on the track into traffic. So, it you know, I... I knew, I knew people would, would, because you can't do this right, right? So I knew people would say like, oh, you're bashing on Hamilton. Oh, you're pointing out Merck and, mm. and we can in, indeed compose this list for, for RBR. But I had a look and, and we really can't. In fact, if it wasn't for Silverstone and if it wasn't for Hungary, um, the world championship would have, would have looked a lot, lot worse even for, for Hamilton. So even without those, um, um, you know, it's, yeah. it's it, it, RBR are on spot this year, and Max Verstappen has been a lot more mature than even I thought. Oh, look at that! Look at that Dutch bias, Chris. Weigh in with some <laughs> some British bias. Say how Max Verstappen and Red Bull are terrible. I was going to say it's even worse than that because Max had a puncture with three laps to go while leading in. Baku. Baku. Yeah. You may you may argue He's that a, I, tell, I tell you what this used to happen. This used to happen in uh, in. Um, the early years of Hamilton's career as well, when he was having engine failures in 2012, people would go, well, he's an engine wrecker. That's what he is. He's an engine wrecker. It's the way he drives. It ruins it's how the he drives engine. the car. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. It's because of his personality. It's because somehow his personality blows up the engines. So that, so I'm going to do that, Chris. Verstappen's a tyre wrecker. Perez didn't uh, have his tyres blow up, did he? Did he? Oh, Verstappen too hard. But no, honestly, I, I was surprised that you think the Red Bull list is... Is longer. I really, I really don't think it is. I think Red Bull have been hitting their marks. Do you know what? S- some context to backtrack on my earlier comments. Okay, um, because <laughs> I love. Are you walking it back? That's not a good sign. <laughs> I don't know about the Red Bull one, but the thing that kind of springs to mind about Max immediately first race passing Lewis off the track and losing the the win uh, effectively. That would be on there. That would certainly be on there. Uh, Portimao, which was just a bit of a mess, really. Um, you know, the should have been on pole and then mistake that let Hamilton through. Um, the problem is, from then on, he's been pretty imperious, except for the two controversial mm. um, collisions with, with, with Hamilton. Oh, the driving um, side. You're right. The driving side, very hard to say. When was a weekend where Verstappen phoned it in? Where was a weekend where he just didn't turn up? And, and historic. Well, if, if you look uh, back, if I'm saying, if you look back at Hamilton's career, we can we can point to whole seasons where he he phoned it in, didn't turn up, still won a couple of races. I don't think Verstappen has phoned in a single weekend, but there have been mistakes. And oh, here we go, here we go with the comments. Yeah. I do class Silverstone as a mistake, even if you think it was mostly Lewis Hamilton's fault. Mm. As the driver coach point of view, uh, no, don't hold, don't force Hamilton to the inside guaranteeing that he is going to not take the ideal line and then and then squeeze and then hope he's going to take the apex because he was never going to. You can say that's Hamilton's fault, but Verstappen, both those drivers, consented. Why am I doing, why am I doing this again? Why am I doing this again? Both drivers consented to that crash, hoping the other one would duck out. Uh, so that's an error. And, and, and failing to get out of the way of Bottas, you know, do you know what I mean? There was 15 cars behind that didn't get hit by Bottas. Only five cars got taken out by Bottas in Hungary. Okay, that one <laughs> that one's a stretch. Um, okay, <laughs> but I like that one. Um, no, you, no, you're right. Um, he he has been very good on the days uh, when it hasn't like quite been going his way, and most of his drives have been pretty imperious to the front of the field. 
um, you know, Baku, uh, Monaco, Austria springs to mind. Sochi was kind of a good example of, I need to bag as many points as possible, damage limitation. And it's really put the pressure on Lewis when Mercedes inevitably put a fourth engine in, in his car. Because, I, and I always say, championships this tight, very rarely I think are won on the days you were perfect. It, mm. It's won on the days that things go awfully wrong and you yeah. limit the damage. That is, it's, like, it's like golf. I don't know if you play golf, Jules, but it is like golf on the bad holes minimize the damage when you put it into the trees don't sit there trying to go through this mystical gap that tiger woods would have done just punt it back onto the fairway reset go get your bogey yeah yeah actually i do play golf okay. but uh so I, so i get the reference but chris is absolutely right i think championships like this um your wor- your worst races uh decide uh, if you if you manage your worst races in a proper mm. way, that's how you win titles. And Monza and Sochi were the feared races by Red Bull because they thought Merck would would do damage there. And if well, there there was there was damage at Monza, but points wise, yeah, they walk away from those two races laughing. And the tracks left, although this season doesn't really um, uh, uh, allow us to say. Oh, this is a Merck track, or this is an RBR no, track because so, it's no. so messed yeah. up this year. But still, um, uh, I think I think RBR uh, have have come out as the the psychological uh, victor. It is interesting you mentioned the remaining races because we don't know what all of them are going to be. Um, yeah, um, of course, we're expecting Qatar to fill in this TBA slot. Who knows who's going to be? quick there you know turkey god knows what's going to happen there especially if the surface is still messed up like it was um, oh yeah last season <laughs> random um, random ice rink yeah i mean you would say austin and uh abu dhabi they're pretty murky tracks but then we also have sao paulo and mexico which in recent years have been very red bull tracks and then i've got new race in Jeddah. no idea what's going to happen there i'm loving it we have no idea how this is going to end, and it's still so close. Jules, here's my here, here's how I feel about the balance between the two teams. I think the drivers, they are, I think they're relatively equal. I think you've got a slightly cooler head with Lewis. I think you've got probably got a slightly more consistent. I don't think I'd have called that at the beginning of the season. A slightly consistent, more consistent drive with uh, with Max Verstappen, but 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 Hamilton's experience is very valuable in this situation. I think Mercedes have got the car advantage. I, I stick by that. I think they've got the car advantage, but I think Red Bull are hitting their marks. And like you said, they are they're they're capitalising on what should be bad days. Whereas I'm not sure Mercedes are. Um, but yeah, that's how that's my take, Jules. I think um, uh, I agree. And and going back to Chris, I think. Um, for the coming races, the 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 races left, who's going to win it? Stepan or Hamilton isn't isn't going to be decided who's the faster one. It's, I think it's going to be decided who loses the most points to interfering teams like McLaren, yeah, McLaren or even Ferrari. Ferrari had a had a great update for Leclerc this weekend, um, and uh, it's going to be on Sainz's car as well. And McLaren and Ferrari are in a really tight battle for third, third spot. So if those guys are going to interfere like they did in Monza, like they did in Sochi, 
um, you know, you you could you could really lose points to those teams, and you know, it's uh, yeah, Matt. Yeah, well, I just I feel like I want to agree with that a hundred percent. We have Lewis Hamilton trying to nurse a power unit to the end of the season, mm. and one of the biggest advantages we've seen Mercedes have is on certain tracks with longer straights, they seem to have regained their energy deployment, probably due to an FIA technical directive that came out yet again, but they've regained this advantage they had. And um, he may not be able to employ it to its full effect if they were trying to avoid the penalty. And this is why I think we've seen him stuck behind McLarens, stuck behind Ferraris for longer and longer. And that's nothing but trouble if you have a bad start and they get in between you and the person ahead. Well, I think they need to just bite the bullet and, and take the other injury. He's either going to be so slow down straight so he gets mugged or can't overtake anyone, or worst case scenario, it goes bang in a race and he loses 25 points to um, Verstappen. But um, you, you mentioned technical directives and a, a spark went off in my head because something we haven't even considered at one point is how pit stops are suddenly playing such a crucial role because... There's so many, we're seeing so many mistakes in, in pit oh stops Oh my God, tell me you didn't directive. listen to the Russia race review without telling me you didn't listen to the Russia race review. Thank you. My goodness, in, in detail, Matt, we spelled it all out. I'm saying you we sure didn't mention did. it tonight. Ugh. Anyway. But I'm more. Uh, right. I'm very busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple of things I just want to make sure we pick up before we go. And uh, props, by the way, Jules, I think that was a, a fantastic list research it flies in the face of everything we stand for here at mr apex podcast but um i i would like to see that list in an excel spreadsheet and we could perhaps assign a points value what do you think could we assign a points value to the 44 car for all of those incidents and, and see where we're at could we do that in an excel sheet all google sheets i i get a, a bit of the um uh ah, never mind uh, I never mind. <laughs> that will be forthcoming. Chris, I want to make sure that we right or wrong. We okay. barely talked about signs in the last race review. I've got a bit of a blind spot when it comes to signs. And I, I know Matt gets upset with it as well. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Is it the reporting? Is it the coverage? He consistently gets good results. I expected him. In fact, Matt's going to need to weigh in first then, Chris. You've been arguing with me for this for, I don't know, five years? Yeah, yeah, easily. <laughs> it's, I expected Leclerc to go and smash signs because I, I thought that Leclerc will, would have the team advantage for sure. But when it's a cool head that's needed, it does seem to be signs. There's, there's something. There's a professionalism. There's, a, there's a, just a, a, a solid base of signs, which isn't perhaps as exciting or as dynamic as Leclerc, but but he is getting the job done. Why why aren't we more excited about signs? Why am I wrong? I think you, you know, nail head. If you look at his race, last race, aside from a little battle at the beginning with uh, Russell before he got the advantage and taking the lead from Norris for about seven laps, his race was completely unremarkable. It was almost perfect but almost entirely devoid of drama and and really i think only the bad pit stops from ricardo and perez sort of kept him 
in the ball game late enough to switch to the inners and take the podium. And so I think that's why people didn't really talk about it very much. The car wasn't capable of finishing on the podium. It was other teams' dramatic mistakes that left him in that. But being who he is, it was 100% all the way there. And, um, and yeah, I, he deserves more than he's getting. But I think his style, and again, just the lack of drama with finishing where he finishes a lot of time, is why he does not get more coverage. I am going to disagree with you slightly because I do believe Ferrari should have been in podium contention in the dry. The bare minimum third, I would have expected Norris Hamilton's sights. The reason he ended up not being there was because Ferrari called him in so early to cover off Stroll. Yep. And, you know, a lot of people went, nah, I'm good. I'm going to keep going for, for a little bit. And that's what really cost them. And it was really only the good call to go to Inters that saved him. Yeah, but, it, but even that wouldn't have protected him from Perez, I don't believe, if, if Red Bull had gotten that stop right. Mm, uh, maybe I'd have to rewatch it, but I still think they should have been in contention in the dry. There, there's no doubt, he before Inters were going on, he was further down the order than he should have been because of that strategy. Oh, okay. yeah, I would agree with you. The strategy call was completely yeah. bonkers. But Perez was right behind, was not far off Hamilton when Hamilton pitted. Okay, so I think this is something that we will look out for in the future. Let's let's make sure that we're not discriminating against signs because he is kind of meticulously going about his business in an unremarkable yet perfect way, as Matt says. Well, well, we should be keeping an eye on both Ferraris. That battle between McLaren and Ferrari for third in the Constructors' Championship is pretty brilliant. I'm loving it. And do you know what? I know McLaren had a 1-2 two, two weeks ago, but it's still, like, super tight. So, and do you know what? It, Ferrari being on the podium in that race rather than McLaren, it's just swings and roundabouts. Loving it. Okay. But I, I really... I don't like to berate my panel, but... I hate this phrase, swings and roundabouts. Why? Because swings and roundabouts are very different, yet it is often used to say these two things are very similar. But swings go backwards and forwards and roundabouts go round and round. So I just it, it winds me up. And that is the kind of thing that you can hear us talking about on our Doom Scrolling podcast. And this week we have a very special guest. His name is Christopher Stevens. He's going to come oh. and join us on Doom Scrolling Podcast on Thursday. We're basically me, Matt, and Chris. We'll talk about the things that have kept us hooked onto our phones that annoy us, that upset us. We'll have a good old whinge. Come and join us there. The link will be in the show notes below. Uh, Matt, I think we are approaching the end of the show. I, I think so. It's been fun. I've enjoyed it. I like these Tuesday pickups, by the way, after a race. I'm not committing to do th doing them all the time. But it's been quite nice. Yeah, well, there's just so much that we don't get to talk no. about in our our only podcast on Sunday. And the lazy podcasts that can't be bothered to, to do anything until Tuesday, they get all the good information and all the good analysis post-race, whereas we're just guessing and making stuff up on Sunday. That's not a good advert for our Sunday stream, is it? No, but people oh. will turn up anyway. They just like to hear us. <laughs> and thank you so much for the support uh, that we've had. I know that a lot of you are aware of the the sort of influx of YouTube type comments and and emails that can can be a kind of negative. That's not just us. That has been industry wide. It's increasing in all content creation, but particularly in in F one this season. We are 
100% focused on the people that want to disagree with us in a polite and civil way. And we're more than happy with that. We are not we are not against people criticizing us. Please criticize us. Uh, not my sound or my microphone or my mustache. Jeez, no, don't do that. But criticize our opinions. That's fine. We love debate. We love uh, we love people coming at us with fresh opinions. That's how we learn. But the second it's an insult, my 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 cup is full. Uh, so the second it's an insult, the second you say that panelist shouldn't be on your show, the second you say uh, Chris has a, a, a ridiculously long haircut that is inappropriate for his age and that he should go for more of like a 90s French crop. The second you say that, I'm more inclined to block you. So because I come debate with us, please do. We love your interaction. But what I wanted to say is a massive thank you to the the huge amount of encouraging emails, tweets and messages that we've had. And uh, we would not be here without your support. Please also follow our panel. Chris, who I just mentioned, with his slightly too long hair and quick. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. At Chris on Racing. Go and follow him. Uh, at Jules Sagers. S-E-E-G-E-R-S. Yep, and correct. Matt at MattPT55. But I know what you're all thinking. At Spanners Ready, I'm the best one. Come and follow me at Mist Apex F1 as well. All the links to everything we've talked about is in the show notes below. Uh, we will be back on Thursday. We're going to catch up with Joe Saywood. I think we're going to take Sunday off. So you'll have these two shows, but no show on Sunday. And then I think we're back for the Turkish Grand Prix. Although, to be honest, I, I'm so confused with this calendar. I think it's October 10th will be the Turkish Grand Prix. But wherever we see you next, work hard. Be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. No, Matt, I haven't forgotten anything. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. I've forgotten nothing. Shut up, man. I didn't say anything. No, that no was I can not see me. You. Oh, I didn't say anything with my mouth. Therefore, the message you're sending with your eyes. It's somehow irrelevant. I've not forgotten this for ages. I've not forgotten it for ages. Come on then. Who's our candidates for? Comment of the week. Just so that we can stop any accusations of bias, I'm going to let our token Dutch panellist be the the judge of the winner. Jules, are you ready to decide? All right. Yep. Okay, Let's good. Okay, Matt, give us your candidates and Jules will decide who the winner is. All right. The first one is a bit of an empathy candidate. Our friend Stuart Neal with back of the grid battles are all I know about when karting. That's true. He's not very good at karting, but he can't he can't get a sympathy vote just because he doesn't know when to turn left and right and do the pedals. That's four inputs. It's not that hard. Um, AJ in Louisville thinks the problem with F2 is branding and suggests they rename it F million. And that should oh probably God, solve it. Because higher numbers are more attractive. A genius, AJ. Well done. Um, uh, Sam Labine, Brad, went to a farm upstate.
<laughs> don't, don't that's too sad he's running around with all the other race engineers he's having a fantastic time rob asher going uh, back to botas having a hidden sense of humor you'd want one after five years of being lewis teammate ah, savage but but kovalainen agrees and last we have uh daz the gardener talking about uh powertrains saying red bull would be literally walking this season if they still had a renault engine literally walking <laughs> uh, like that, like a Flintstones car with their feet exactly. pedaling under. Jules, who's our winner? Uh, although I like the the the, the Flintstones reference, I'm going for AJ. I uh, I, I really like. I the, agree. The, yeah, Matt, what was the AJ one? Uh, that F two should rebrand as F billion. <laughs> Higher numbers are better. Comment of the week. You know, it used to be called F three thousand. That would have been, that's, a, that's an even, is that a bigger number? No. Well, not than like a million. A million. No, it's no. true. Yeah. But it was called 3000, if I remember rightly, because mm. the 3000 CC um, yeah. engines. And it was back in the day, it was not a spec series. This was from 84 mm. to 04. Or the other thing is to call it like A1, like A1 GP, A1. That's like yeah. the highest, that is the highest letter because it's first and the yeah. first number so you can go that way or you can go z a jillion and then that's the other extreme quintillion yeah. yeah what's the highest number well there isn't one infinity they go on forever mate yeah they've that's not the named they've not named them all there's clearly well, no, a highest well, you, named you no there's no. a highest named order of magnitude though surely like a google is very high like how far have we bothered naming orders of magnitude? F log three thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we're out of here. Bye.